Well, good morning, church. Appreciate all of you all being here this morning. As we've been noticing uh, that uh, if you made the clock change, you're here on time. Don't be surprised at 11.30, there's gonna be people rolling in that we know that they forgot to change their clocks. Well, with daylight savings time, it is really difficult on our schedules because we lose an hour of sleep. So sometimes it's challenging to get ourselves back into the routine. But also, if you've noticed lately, we've been getting a lot of rain. And when it rains, I don't know about you, but it seems like I notice a lot of people forget how to drive. It's kind of crazy, but they just forget the rules and the laws of the road, and they just start driving faster than they're supposed to. Now, it's not a big deal, but it is a concern for me because they are risking their own safety. But in the same way, if I'm on the road, if they're driving crazy in the rain, it's risking my safety. Now, there's a, there's a reason why we have traffic laws and rules to keep us safe. But sometimes I don't believe people know them or just plain ignore them. Uh, recently, nearby, when the traffic lights went out, what they often do when there's bad weather, when you get to a, a, a intersection where there's signal lights that are out, what are you supposed to do? Correct. You treat it like a four-way stop. But this particular weekend when we were going to this intersection, which I usually do at all intersections because there's a tendency for a lot of people to run through red lights, I always make sure to look left, look right, and then enter into the intersection, even if I have the right of way, just to make sure nobody runs the light. But that particular Sunday where there was no signal lights and you're supposed to treat it as a four-way stop, lo and behold, somebody went uh, driving really fast, speeding through the intersection. And if I had gone through that intersection at that time, I would have been broadsided and who knows what would have happened. Well, just for fun, I'm going to test your driving knowledge right now. So here's the first scene, scenario. You're driving and you're approaching an intersection and a pedestrian steps into the crosswalk as you are just hitting the, the intersection. What are you supposed to do? Is it A, you drive through waving at them? B, you drive around them as they're walking? Or is it C? A. <laughs> Well, actually, that's what I did one time, and the police officer pulled me over <laughs> because it's actually C. As soon as a pedestrian steps foot in the crosswalk, you got to stop. And if you go past them, you have violated the law. That is a rule in the state of California. Here's scenario number two. You're making a right turn at an intersection against a red light crossing over a bike lane to get to the right turn lane. So what do you do? Do you just go to the intersection and make the right turn without stopping? Or is it B, you go to the intersection, stop, then make the right turn? Or is it C, where you make a right turn signal, 
you look over your right shoulder to make sure nobody is in the bike lane, you go to the intersection and you stop, then you make a right turn if it's safe. Let's see. Believe it or not, that was a scenario that one of my children had on their driving test at the DMV and failed because you do anything to violate any one of those things, it's an automatic failure. So I don't know about you, oh, actually, if you, do you know that on bike lanes, you can't cross over except on the dashed lines. And I know a lot of you have seen where people it, who cannot be patient that are backed up at an intersection, they will go over the solid white lines to get to the right turn lane to go right. And I've seen police officers pull people over because you can't do that. You have to cross at the dash lines. Now, if it's, it's kind of crazy, right? These kind of rules that we have, they're kind of obscure. And to be honest, do you really obey them? Or do you ignore them? Life seems to have so many rules, causing many of us to have this love-hate relationship with them. Yet try to imagine a world without laws. Life would be really crazy and chaotic. And in some sense, rules are for our own good and benefit. But honestly speaking, sometimes we feel rules restrict our freedom and fun. Who hasn't thought this at one time or another? Rules are made to be broken. And this week is the third installment in our current sermon series, God's Blueprint for Transformation. And we will explore together today, Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments that God gave to Israelites. Now, some of you are thinking the Ten Commandments, I mean, isn't that a Sunday school thing? It's not relevant. It doesn't pertain to us today. Well, you got to remember Jesus said this, he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Therefore, the foundation of the Ten Commandments is still valid today and deeply weaved into God's story throughout the biblical narrative. They are more than a list of individual do's and don'ts. The Ten Commandments are like an organization's code of conduct which take, taken as a whole embodies expectations for behavior, values, and culture for the employees or workers. Each week in this series, we are asking this simple question. What does it look like to be transformed people who know God? What is our identity? What can we do to be transformed? Now, to quickly review, what is God's blueprint for transformation? What did we learn in the first week? Be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that God is in control. The second week, what did we learn as a blueprint for transformation? It's to be consecrated for God's purpose. Today, we will learn that God's blueprint for transformation is to live out being made in our image. So more about that as we continue. I want to quickly mention that my message is in part based on a podcast by Bible Project entitled, What is the Ten Commandments All About? 
So with that, let me read today's passage from Exodus. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along or even on your Bible apps. I'm sure it's going to be projected behind me. So I'm going to read from Exodus 20, verses 1 to 21, beginning with verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates." For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. And that is the word of the Lord. So let me um, pray for us. At this time, before we dive deeper into his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your counsel that comes from your word. Your ways are not ours. You desire the best for us and you have a plan for us. May we trust in you always, even if it does not make sense. Today, transform us through the Holy Spirit that I, that I know is present now as we gather in your name. Help us to see, hear, feel what you want us to experience. Have your way with us now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And I pray this in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen. How many of you have ever had a DTR? If you ever dated sometime in that time frame, you've had one of these conversations. Now, if you don't know what a DTR, DTR stands for define the relationship. It's a time where couples, when, when they're dating, have that talk to first figure out, are we going to be boyfriend, girlfriend? 
then later as things get more serious, you have another DTR. Is this leading to marriage? I remember my wife Terry and I had this talk when we were dating. And, you know, bless her heart, the primary thing that she had in our DTR was whether or not I was a Christian or not. What was my relationship with God? Well, here in our Exodus story at Mount Sinai, God is having a DTR with the Israelites to decide what kind of relationship they wanted with God. After being taken out of Egypt and journeying in the desert for over 40 days, the Israelites finally arrive at the foot of Mount Sinai. And here, God invited them to be his covenant partners. And like a couple getting married and saying, I do, the Israelites, to their credit, do say, we do. With the Israelites signing on the dotted line, God then spelled out what their relationship would look like. Now, for comparison's sake, this DTR that the Israelites were having with God at Mount Sinai is similar to what Jesus is giving his DTR to people at his Sermon on the Mount, where he described what people in the kingdom of God would look like. Here in Exodus 20, God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments for a reason, and it was not about being morally perfect, which we all know is impossible. But instead, God's commandments help give an identity to God's people. Obeying the Ten Commandments isn't about making God happy. That's not the point. Rather, following the laws creates a lifestyle that reflects God's image to the world. And that is what God calls his people to be. Remember, God had redeemed a people group from slavery. In the time that they were in Egypt, the Israelites were molded their life, their environment, their choices to serve Egyptian, the Egyptian empire and the Egyptian gods. So God purposely took them out to the middle of nowhere where they had nothing, no land, no social identity for the purpose of remaking them. They, they were being transformed from Pharaoh's slaves into God's kingdom of priests and a holy nation, which is something that we learned last week from Exodus 19. So a question at this moment for all of us to ponder and think about. Do you see yourself as remaining a slave of the world or do you desire to be transformed into the royal priesthood of God's kingdom? That's a choice that you need to make and something for you to think about seriously. The Ten Commandments rep represent the way that Israel's community, identity, story and values were to be reshaped and recreated to fit God's story. They're like vows that a wedding couple makes with each other. These vows describe the ideals and commitments that the, that the couple want to live out in their marriage. It's what defines them as a distinct married couple from other people. As a pastor, I really enjoy walking alongside people who are about to make this um, decision in their lives during premarital counseling 
And looking around this room, I see some of you who actually sat through sessions with me. It's a lot of fun to journey alongside you and as you decide to make this covenantal relationship called marriage. For the married couples here, maybe you recited these traditional vows. When a groom says to his bride, I receive you as my wife, my special gift from a loving God, to have and to hold from this day forward for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to honor and to cherish, sharing all that is to come. I promise to be your loving husband, forsaking all others to be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. And the bride repeats these in the same way. Does that jog some of your memories from your wedding? Maybe some of you need to redo them again, just as a reminder. Like the Israelites back then, God wants us to today have a lifestyle that is embodied by the Ten Commandments that mirror his character to others in the world. And like those marriage vows, the Ten Commandments are rules that uphold God's relationship with us who are Christians. So at this time, I'm going to have us look a little closer at the Ten Commandments to dive a little deeper into each one of them. Now, realistically, each commandment is a sermon by themselves. So I'm not going to have to be able to go very deep into all of them, but I'm going to kind of give you a quick overview. First, something probably most of you already know, you've heard it over and over again, learned it in Sunday school, learned it here. The Ten Commandments tell us how to treat God and treat people. The first four commandments did detail parameters for our relationship with God. And the fifth and the following commandments all specifies ways in which we are to treat other people. It's exactly how Jesus basically summarized the law when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to love God with all of your heart, soul and mind. And the second, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't need to tell you where you heard that before. Love God, love people, and serve the world. The first three commandments tell us how we are to treat God. First, there is only one God. Second, we are not to make anything or anyone else an idol. And third, we are not to misuse the name of God. And some translations say take, to take God's name in vain. There's a reason why God does not want us to make other idols to replace him. It's because God is the only rightful creator of the universe. To make other gods would dishonor him and, dis and also disrespect, disrespect us. Because God already made image bearers of himself. And that's you and me. And the third commandment reinforces this principle. Often people simplify the meaning of using the Lord's name in vain as swearing or using God's name in profanity. The Hebrew word, uh, root word for the use or to take 
translates more accurately as to pick up or to carry. That as Christians, we take up, we pick up, we carry the name of God with us wherever we go. We represent God. It's like, it's like your last name. Your last name tells others what family you belong to. And many of us come from a culture where we are told not to bring any shame to our family's name. And so as God's representatives, we don't want to behave in a way that would ruin God's reputation. And that is the more true meaning of what it means to not take God's name in vain. The fourth commandment is about Sabbath rest. And like the first three, tells us how we are to treat God. That to do no work on the Sabbath is to acknowledge and trust that God is our provider. Another important aspect of this commandment is that it is meant to be done in community. That as his church, the outside world will see us resting together, spending time together, worshiping, praying, serving, eating, and sharing. We show the world the character of God by us living these commands out with each other, living in God's abundance rather than to the world's mindset of scarcity. The fifth commandment is a transition from how we are to treat God, and it moves us to how we are to treat people. And number five is about honoring your parents which includes both our heavenly parent and our earthly parents. We are to honor God, the master creator, and our human parents who created us. Plus, number five is the only commandment that comes with a blessing, that comes with a promise. And that promise is that you will live long in the land that God has given to you. And the way we can honor someone is to think more highly of them than yourself. Commandments 6 to 8 deal with murder, adultery, stealing, and these are all acts that will break down community. Now, it's kind of funny, I think, as a parent, that God kind of has a little bit of humor. He has the fifth commandment that says, honor your parents, your mother and father. Then right after that, it says, don't murder. Because if you ever had kids, there are moments that you want to murder them. <laughs> but here, we're reminded, don't do that. And in some ways, too, we often don't think, we won't ever murder. We aren't going to commit adultery. We're not going to steal. But, you know, we think these are other people's problems, that they're individuals' problems. But here, the Ten Commandments are not individual laws. They apply to a community and how a community behaves towards one another. When there's murder, where there's adultery, where there's stealing, it impacts entire community. So we got to stop thinking these are just someone else's fault. It is our community's issues. And if we go into Jesus' teaching as holy people, as a holy nation, Jesus brings this to a higher level because he says even if you think it you've done it so it's a call to be better than the world 
in some ways, it's very challenging. These commandments to not murder, not commit adultery, to steal, these are the antithesis of God's character, which is about peace, harmony, and unity. And lastly, commandments 9 and 10, they deal with your neighbor and how to love them. Number nine is not to lie about them, but to tell the truth about them. Now, it's interesting to point out here, too, it doesn't mean you can't not tell the truth. There are many cases in the Bible, people did lie, but they lied to save other people's lives. Here, it's just saying, don't say something untrue about your neighbor. There's nuance here. And also, there are times it's okay, I believe, to say a white lie, especially when your wife says, do I look good today? No husband will ever want to think negatively at that moment. And of course, my wife always looks good every day anyway. (laughs) And number 10 is not to covet your neighbor's stuff. To covet is to desire, crave, lust for things that do not belong to you. You want what someone else has. Now, if you're going to take this literally, it says don't covet your neighbor's cow or oxen. I mean, there's no way I would ever want to do that. But today's equivalent would be someone's Tesla or Porsche. So be mindful that God's word is relevant back then and it is today. And when you covet, you can cross over to envy and jealousy, which are also negative, destructive behaviors in any community, let alone God's family. The Ten Commandments give us an identity as God's people. The Ten Commandments tell us how to treat God and treat people. And third, the Ten Commandments is as much about worshiping God as they are dignifying other humans. And why do this, especially with people we don't like or get along with, who have nothing in common with us? And taking this further, why treat the homeless, the poor, the sick, the prisoners, even our enemies with dignity? We do this because we are all made in the image of God. In the creation story, in the beginning, Genesis 1, verse 26 says this, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And the plurality there, that pronoun, us, refers to the Holy Trinity, God the Father, Jesus as the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Often, uh, when people meet my children, they often make this comment that, wow, your kids look like you. Duh. I think Terry and I had something to do with bringing them into the world. So, yeah, they are going to look like us. So when God tells us he made us, made us all in his image, we should believe we would look like God, at least spiritually. That we are his image bearers. We honor God by reflecting his character in our transformed beings. On the other hand, when humans make idols and worship them, they're not only investing in created things, but also giving the reverence and glory that should only belong to God. They are then dishonoring God. 
Plus, people are robbing themselves of their own dignity as God's image bearers. When you say something else that you're calling an idol is better than yourself. In Exodus 20, God is testing the Israelites to see if they wanted to worship him up close and personal to be in an intimate relationship. I mean, we sang a praise song earlier, wanting to touch God. That means you got to get really close. But given this opportunity, this golden opportunity in verse 19 of Exodus 20, the Israelites rejected God's invitation and chose to distance themselves instead of coming close to him at Mount Sinai to touch him. Verse 18 to 20 says this, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Here, the, the Israelites had a chance to, for a close encounter with God. Sadly, the Israelites failed to test. Instead, they chose Moses to go and talk to God on their behalf. So here's a question for all of us to think about. Do you desire to meet with God personally, face to face? Or do you decline like the Israelites did and stay at a distance? However, know this, a real encounter with God usually results in transformation. And true change begins with transformation. It's a process, a lifelong journey, and it doesn't happen overnight. And it cannot be done without the help of the Holy Spirit over and over again. God's blueprint for transformation is to live out being made in our image. We are made in an image of a triune God. And the world sees us, for better or worse, individually and corporately as a church, as our image of God. How we live out the Ten Commandments determines how accurately we project God to others watching. Of course, not by the letter of the law, but by the spirit of law. The Holy Spirit, that is. And we must be transformed people to accomplish this. And um, next week, just a heads up, a little bit of preview, Pastor Ben will pick up the sermon series and he will tell us what transformation does not look like. To apply what we heard this morning, for those of us who are interested in going a little bit deeper and applying what you learned this morning, here's some extra credit. Um, first thing I, I suggest is write vows to God. Maybe using the traditional marriage vows as a template. And once you wrote them out, go ahead and read them aloud. Read them aloud to God. Second choice is to read commandment number 10. Examine your desires, especially those that, that, that might fit the things that are mentioned in the 10th commandment. 
confess any to God and ask for his help to cultivate more contentment and gratefulness for what you do have. So let me go ahead and end my time here with a word of prayer. So let's pray. Lord God, you invite us to be your covenant partners, to share in your plan to save the world through your son, Jesus. Let us take your commands like the foundational Ten Commandments seriously so that we can be transformed more into your likeness. You are not demanding perfection. You are not asking us to follow the Ten Commandments to the, to the letter of the law. We cannot do this on our own. What is impossible with man is not impossible with God. May we learn how to honor, with, honor you with our undivided devotion and to treat our fellow mankind with the dignity they deserve because every person is made in your image. And collectively, as your church, help us to walk the talk so the world may see your character in us, that our image would be something they would want to. And I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.